Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to episode 33 of Hello, Fellow Kids. We're on the Jesus year. Happy birthday, <laughs> Jesus. Sorry, your party sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Do we ever, like, induce ourselves at the... Be- I feel like we have an intro, but it differs quite a bit from, like, other podcast intros. Yeah, usually there's, like, a there's like an introduction of names and what the podcast is about. Yeah, we're not all like, this. that's Karen Kilgariff, and that's Georgia Hardstark. <laughs> do you I, listen to my favorite murder? No. Like, ever? No. Okay, that was well, the beginning we of do, my favorite we should, murder. What we should do is we should do a thing where we, uh, each episode, we pick, like, a pair of characters, like, maybe, like, the Sweet Valley twins or something, and we introduce each other as those characters. And then we just change oh, every yeah, month. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a raging bitch, so I'd be Jessica, and you're Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, hey, it's Don and Marianne from the Babysitters Club. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we are we are Josh and Mara, and this is Hello, fellow kids. So, what is our book this month, Josh Ma? If you want to tell the listening public. We read Dead Voices by Catherine Arden, which is the sequel to Small Spaces, which was one of our uh, one of our favorite reads from, was it last year or was it two years ago at this point? Who knows what time is. I, ti- yeah, time stopped existing. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping. Uh, Anyways, yeah. if anybody has forgotten, Small Spaces is the one about the scarecrows and it was real spooky. I think famously, I got up and locked the door. While yes. I was reading. <laughs> and interestingly enough, I also read this book when I was mostly alone in the house. One member of the household was gone overnight somewhere, and the other is on a completely different sleep schedule than me. So it was just me and the cats. Were, were, were doors more adamantly locked again? They had to be, but it was dark anyway. Okay. And um, I took a break, and then I went out to check the mail, and I was frightened the whole way. Because <laughs> it was dark. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so this is the second book in the seasonally themed series. Uh, so mm-hmm. this is the this is the winter book, and it yeah. takes place up at a uh, ski lodge instead of a uh, creepy farm. You know what it reminded me of? It was like a better executed all the pretty bad. It was ones. yeah. It was yeah. it was that's exactly you're right. It was like Mary Downing Hahn on top of her game. Is what this one was. Yeah. Is this, this is what this one was wanting to be and didn't quite achieve it. How do you feel about this one? You know, I felt like it was rushed. It felt pretty rushed to me. That's exactly what I felt. Um, I I, I liked wrote, it. Yeah, it was like it was fine, but I got to the end and I wrote that was that's very, it very quick. It just was done. Um, kind of like kind of home in the space of a paragraph, and you're like, oh, hold on. There's stuff I feel like that hasn't been addressed. This felt, okay, like, the first one felt like this is a whole contained story. We're done. And we were like, oh, cool, there's a sequel to this? Okay. This felt very much like there'll be another one. And then you're just like, oh, well, can we still, like, tie it up and be all like, okay, and that's it. This should feel complete. And it kind of didn't. This felt a little first drafty. Yeah. But Catherine Arden, not quite hitting all the marks is still like head and shoulders above a lot of the crap we've read. So it's like how I said earlier about like a, a, like a bad rainbow Rowell book 
is really it's, not that it's bad. It's still a good book, yeah. <laughs> it's still a good book. That's how I feel about Catherine Arden. Yeah, like, at no point was I disappointed to be reading it. I was a little oh. disappointed that it wasn't what I know that she was capable of. Like, the story is so fast-paced, so you keep consuming it, consuming it, and then it's over, and you're like, what? And you feel like Wiley Coyote running off the cliff, and you keep running? Yes! And then stop and like, wait, I ran a story, and you fall, is what this was. Very much so. It's It's not even 250 pages. But yeah, I remember I was like... I read, I like, I started reading, and I was like, by the second day of reading, I want to get about halfway through the book. And then that happened, you know, uh, it wasn't a huge issue to get there. Uh, I just, it was my weekend, and I also wanted to get other things done. And then, so I brought it to work with me for, like, my lunch book reading. And I was like, I'm going to bring this for the rest of the week. I should be done. I might have to do a little bit of reading before the meeting. And then by the time I had I was done with my second lunch break, the book was over. And I was like, well, okay, then. Okay. <laughs> I know that you want to leave people wanting more. It's like, don't make the people sick of you. Because we've had the opposite thing with books where we're like, okay. And this one, we're like, can I have a little bit more? Yeah. So I liked it. I haven't given it a rating yet because I don't really know what to do. I feel like three is too harsh, but four is not quite true. Well, th this is one of those things I, I think I've mentioned it before where it's like when you're rating something – do you base it based on, like, everything else you've read? Or do you base it off of where it falls in the series or with the author or something like that? And, like, depending on that, it it kind of... Like, three is harsh compared to yeah. other threes that I've read. Mm -hmm. But compared to a Catherine Arden four of Small Spaces, it definitely feels a notch below that. It'd have to be, like, maybe, like, a 3.8. You know, right? it's like, <laughs> yeah. why doesn't Goodreads do decimals? <laughs> I know, like you're killing me smalls. But yeah, I definitely think a 3.8 at this point. Um, But it'll have to come across as like a three on Goodreads. And that just doesn't feel right. Well, you know, sometimes sometimes we get a stronger feeling for a rating after the discussion. So maybe we'll maybe okay. it'll eke into a four yeah. or maybe it'll just solidly land in a three. So sure. Yeah, let's we'll, we'll hold in. off on that. Until now, let's just call it Threve. We're giving it a Threve. Threve. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I had some fun with the notes, so we're going to... It's going to be a funner episode. I'm not going to be so like, these are the facts. That's it. You know? <laughs> like like how I am when I don't really like the book. Right. Um, okay. Chapter one. Welcome back to the Small Spaces universe. Our buddies, Ollie, Coco, and Brian, are en route to Hemlock Lodge, a ski resort with the clunkiest name ever. They're being driven there by Ollie's dad, who won this trip as a prize for selling lots of solar panels, which is the whitest sentence in the world. <laughs> also with the group is Coco's mom, which I found weird until I noticed how coupley they were acting. Uh, they're driving to this place in the middle of a snowstorm, but they're going along just fine with uh, Ollie's dad cracking dad jokes. Uh, he makes one about scarecrows, and the kids go silent. Too soon. Coco falls asleep and dreams of a creepy little girl with no eyes. She's just looking for her bones, as you do. For some reason, this scares Coco, and she wakes up. Soon after, she sees a figure in the road uh, wearing a ski jacket and a ski mask, uh, indicating they stop. Coco's the only one who sees the figure and screams until they do stop, nearly sliding on the ice into a tree. 
Everyone's pretty nice about this, though, even though they don't really believe her. Not even Ollie and Brian, who should know better. They continue on their way and reach the darkened lodge. It's okay. They can hear generators running. Uh, in the creepy lobby full of taxidermy animals, they meet the owners, Sue and Sam Wilson. Don't get used to seeing them. Our protagonists are the only ones who braved the storm for this trip, so they're the only guests in the lodge. Everyone's pretty beat, so Sue leads them to their rooms. Coco thinks she sees something in the hall, but it's just a shadow. Or is it? Coco, during the first part of this trip up to the ski lodge, is very much me, because if <laughs> I were going up to a ski lodge, the last thing I would want to do would be to ski, yeah, because no, I you. don't find anything fun about careening down a mountain. You keep telling me pizza and fries, but I'm not hungry! <laughs> <laughs> That's how you're supposed to turn your skis. Like, pizza is when you, like, turn them inwards, and it's supposed to slow you down, and then right. fries is just having the them parallel. That That's tends to be how people teach children how to ski. I saw a TikTok of this child flying down a mountain on skis, screaming, and the instructors alongside him yelling, Pizza! Do a pizza! And the kids just... (laughs) (laughs) My dad tried to teach my mom how to ski, and uh, I believe what occurred was my mom was going down, and she finally figured that part out, and then she was like, How do you stop? And my dad just said... You just do! That doesn't help. And so help. that was the last time she went skiing. Yeah, I don't blame her. That is very <laughs> poor instruction. Even yelling pizza would have been something. Which is funny, because he's, he's actually a very good instructor. I, I think it was just one of those things where it once you know how to do it, it kind of becomes so natural that to like put yourself in the brain of a newcomer to it is like can be kind of a challenge sometimes. But yeah, I don't. I have no urge to ski. She's very much looking forward to just, like, staying inside and reading and playing board games. That sounds and, like, great, except yes, for the please. board games. <laughs> uh, she she mentions specifically playing chess. Um, this is the third instance of chess, like, just kind of popping up in my life in a very short period of time. Uh, and it's kind of weird, because I was reading this while my girlfriend was watching that new show, The Queen's Gambit. Oh, right, yeah. I've heard Which of that. I, I ended up sitting in on, like, about an episode's worth uh, while she was watching it, and I need to go back tr- back and watch the whole thing, because it looks phenomenal. And then that same week, one of my favorite YouTube channels released a deep dive video into the history of chess computers, and I'm like, why is everyone convening on chess all of a sudden? But it says that she played an online game against someone whose tag was at B-E-G-E-M-O-T? Uh, which I googled. Okay. Uh, it appears to be a reference to a uh, a Russian novel called Master and Margarita, uh, and that name, which I don't know how to pronounce it, would it be Begemo or something? Begemo Be- monsters. Begemo are the champions. <laughs> <laughs> I was going Begemite sandwich, but it is apparently a demon cat who loves, among other things, chess and vodka. Uh, well, Catherine Arden did like. Uh, major in like Russian literature. On, on Russian, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. The the sign uh, at the ski lodge says Mount Hemlock Resort, a mountain of awesome where winter never ends. And I was just like, oh boy, that's. <laughs> Don't you threaten me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the lodge is covered in like mounted animal heads and bearskin rugs and stuff. And I wrote Sam's the villain and drew an angry face. Um, 
I think at some point I pinned three different people as being the villain, but his was mostly just because he was the one who did all of the hunting, and I was like, but why, why'd you have to put the corpses on display? It's a little creepy. Like, if, you, if you're eating it for the food, like, that's the circle of life. But if you're just like, look at this thing that I managed to kill with my lead projectiles that can go hundreds of feet per second, like, that's not impressive. We've we've talked about this with uh, as brave as you. I'm not not much much of a gun person. No, um, I'm not either. I can get like I can get behind the hunting stuff. It's just the then stuffing them yeah. that I don't, and then displaying them I don't like. It's just yeah. kind of icky. Yeah, uh, my uh, my mom's cousin, uh, their wedding reception, uh, like one of their friends parents or something hosted the reception and there was like a, a pool house or something and it was just filled with like everything was made of animal like the stools had actual like animal feet feet and there was like a zebra skin rug and like elephant tusks i want that room to come to life again and just ever just terrorizes everyone see this wedding party screaming and running while like the chairs are just trampling after them that's like a twilight stone episode that needs to happen right jordan peele get on that he's like fuck you (laughs) he's like that's stupid what what can i do with that chapter two ollie has her own nightmare she dreams that she's in some kind of world full of... Well, okay, let me start that over because it sounds stupid if I say world. A world, <laughs> a world full of beds. <laughs> in a world filled with beds. It's always nap time. <laughs> One man will fluff his pillow. Just call me melatonin. <laughs> this summer. <laughs> You snooze, you lose. <laughs> okay. It's Rip, the gritty retelling of Rip Van Winkle. <laughs> In a post-apocalyptic future where, like, all humans have been, like, put to sleep. And they're just all lined up on beds in, like, a Matrix-style room. And now can, he's woken can, up and he has to fight back. Can John Cena be Rip Van Winkle? John yes. Cena is Van Winkle. And then the More. person doing the John Cena music is that kid from that vine with the recorders up his nose. <laughs> his nose. <laughs> you mean ripped Van Winkle? There we go. Yeah. That can be like the computer hacker nerds like joke in the movie. More like ripped Van Winkle. Now played by, um, ooh, how about the computer hacker sidekick dude who helps rip Van Winkle is Tom Holland playing against type kind of grows his hair out in like an old emo kind of style and like has like eyeliner and stuff and just has like all these like empty bottles and cans of Mountain Dew like all over the tabletop and he's like knocking back monsters while all like things have changed since you fell asleep ripped. (laughs) I do like how against type for Tom Holland is person I don't adore. Because right. Tom Holland's type is person I adore. Right. He's like sweet and like Peter Packery and computer hacker guy is like pissing in a bottle so he doesn't have to get up. You know, we don't we yeah. don't like that. And he'd be all like, can I paint my nails for this role? We're like, sir, please. And he's like, well, I'm in. 
<laughs> okay. So, uh, back to this. Uh, Ollie has her own nightmare. She dreams that she's in some kind of ward full of beds. Makes a lot more sense. And, um, a bony gray girl begs Ollie for help. She needs to find her bones. Ollie couldn't be less interested and just wants a way out. Then she sees that the beds are full of little girls that have frozen to death. How about no? Uh, the girl gets more intense and tells Ollie that she's coming and they'll be put to bed forever like all the other little girls. Then she leans in and gives Ollie the key rules for this particular story. One, don't listen to the voices. Two, stay out of closets. And three, don't look in the mirror. Suddenly the door slams open and Mara's personal horror of a ghostly spectral woman shows up to berate Ollie for being awake like a bad girl. Ollie wakes to hear Coco coming back from the can. Ollie realizes that she needs to go, too. Uh, when she gets to the bathroom, she sees that the lights are on, which is confusing since she's sure they turned them off after getting ready for bed. It turns out that Coco's in the bathroom. But wait, if Coco's here, then who was phone? Oh, thank God. I was about to say it. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my favorite thing in the world <laughs> is who was phone. When they go back to their room together... Um, Ollie thinks she sees the girl from her dream up in Coco's bunk, but when she turns on a lamp, there's nothing. When Coco asks what's up, Ollie doesn't tell her. God damn it, Ollie. In the morning, Mr. Wilson tries to make breakfast and screws it up, but Ollie's dad saves the day. It's a consolation to Ollie and Brian, since the storm is still too strong for them to go outside and ski. But then Ollie's dad and Coco's mom act more blatantly coupley, and the kids finally pick up on what I noticed like 30 pages ago. Coco's all for a parent trap, but Ollie's clearly upset by this slutty act of hand-holding. Luckily, another guest arrives to distract us for a bit. Ladies and gentlemen, meet Don Voland, a magazine writer specializing in ghosts. He digs into their breakfast uninvited and tells them how the lodge used to be an orphanage where some unhinged woman called Mother Hemlock, who I kept trying to call Mother Gettle through this whole thing... <laughs> Just he's trying to, like, put the girls to sleep. Mother knows best. <laughs> anyway, um, it used to be on, it's an orphanage. Some unhinged woman called Mother Hemlock punished a little girl for sleepwalking by locking her in a closet. The girl died of fright, and Mother threw herself out of a window in remorse. Good morning, everybody. Are you awake now? Uh, the Wilsons are pissed off, but um, Ollie wants to know what the ghosts look like. Mr. Volan thinks this is a weird question. Know what's weirder, Don? All the lights suddenly going out and then snow pouring down the chimney and putting the fire out. That's weird. I uh, I, I just want it to be on the record that I, I started reading the book a little before Mara did, and I did warn her that there was some sort of Mara-specific scare in here. Uh, because when I saw I, I saw a ghost lady, I was like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah, um, thank you for the warning, because it was less upsetting, so I was like, okay, so we're talking, like, ghost lady here, and then she showed up, and I was like, there she is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like when you're watching the horror movie, and you're like, they're gonna be, they're gonna be right around the corner, aren't they? I know you're there, just come on, yep, there you are, I hate you, I hate you, I'm watching, I hate you. I still haven't seen the woman in black. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I can handle it. <laughs> I saw that, I saw that as a, uh two-person or three-person stage production. Oh, God, that's going to be even spookier. Yeah, they turned off, like, all of the lights and everything for a good period of time. There's, like, there's like probably five minutes where you're just sitting entirely in the dark and it's just audio. <laughs> and they're like, 
okay, I'm trying to do my lines, and like, by the way, Sarah, you're doing great, but like, there's someone who just keeps weeping in the audience. Can we? That's really distracting. Can we? And it's me, like, <laughs> ma'am, are you all right? I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you just throw snakes at me? Then we're all set. <laughs> <laughs> So the girls were, um, they just get to the room and they're kind of hesitant to immediately leave and go to the bathroom and, like, brush their teeth and stuff. Um, but then Ollie says that she hates having fuzzy teeth. And I'm like, yeah, that is exactly what it is before you brush your teeth. It's fuzzy teeth. Yeah, it feels pretty so gross. True. Yeah. Uh, oh, here's where I wrote it. The, the section says it looked like a woman. Ollie couldn't see her face, just that she was tall and wore a black dress. And I was like, I'm so sorry, Mara. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, where's Mara? Uh, and I'm halfway down the mountain going home, like, don't care, bye-bye. Uh, I, do fi- I do find it odd that before going to bed, they're like, we need to stick together, and we don't want to, like, we don't want to separate when we're going to the bathroom and stuff, because that's too spooky. But then, like, Coco gets up in the middle of the night and goes to the bathroom by herself, and I'm like, I feel, I feel like she would have woken up Ollie and been like, I'm sorry, but... We know that things get weird around us. We should probably go to the bathroom together. <laughs> I I think I have a theory for that. Okay. Should do number two. You don't. Ah, yeah. You don't do that in front of another person. She no, probably you, you. Yeah. She probably didn't do it. You'll risk your life for a two. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather be dead than embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's my theory. At breakfast, Coco's mom is all smiley, and I write, did they bang? And then on the next page, they hold hands, and I wrote, they banged. Well, right. He's all like, oh, yeah, that woke up me and so-and-so. And I'm like, how do you know unless she was with you, sir? <laughs> like, jeez. Shouldn't you, like, have a talk with your daughter that you're seeing this person before you, like, bang on a holiday trip? Uh, Don Voland says that this it was a school and an orphanage, and rumors run around. Rumors went around that children were being locked in closets, but no one investigated because people don't really care about orphans. So I, I drew a very frustrated Batman. <laughs> Look, they can't all be Robin. Oh my god, all these cute little Frozen girls. Um, that makes it sound like it's from the movie Frozen. But all these poor little girls with their eyes frozen shut, but they're in like those little red hot pants and green tights. <laughs> like, I can do somersaults. And he's like. <laughs> All right, somersault into the Batmobile. We got stuff to do. <laughs> uh, it's like it's like one of my favorite stupid jokes. What did one orphan say to the other? What? Robin, get to the Batmobile. Oh, sad. Yeah. <laughs> this joke has it all. Dead parents, poor taste. <laughs> Lowest common denominator pop culture references. Yeah, who doesn't know Batman? I couldn't think of a joke fast enough. Let's go on to chapter three. <laughs> well, the thing is, you you cut out the dead air, so it always sounds a lot smarter than it actually is. Though, um, I will say that uh, I've been struggling with this um, format for a while because it's like you, you're not very audible in your responses to things, and which isn't so bad when you're sitting across from me because I can see your facial expression. But I've made jokes on this and heard nothing from you and just kind of trail off and go, you know, <laughs> it's always really awkward. Like oh, right yeah, now, cause, I have no idea what it, you're doing. I can try and develop a good fake laugh, just to, like push it in there. It'll still it'll be genuinely funny, but I just I'll, I'll have to create a new please uh, vocalization. Please don't, Jimmy Fallon me. I don't need the fake loud laughter. 
please. Okay. Are we ready for chapter three? Sure. Y'all ready for this? Okay. Sorry. I was jamming in my chair. No one could see it, but I was jamming. (laughs) Maybe we need to start doing this with like the uh, camera on so we do see each other and it doesn't feel quite as weird. Like that would be shouting. great if I trusted either of our Wi-Fi's. Wi-Fi's. Yeah. Our wifes. <laughs> my Wi-Fi. Take my Wi-Fi, please. This is a bad side. This is what we do when we don't like the book. Oh no, no! I'm just kind of hyper. We're we're like on a high from like a good time because a good thing yeah. happened. Yeah. That's really that's Plus really what happened earlier in the day when neither of us have been to work. Yeah. So we're we're good. This is this is not a bad sign. We're just excited. Sorry, everybody. We should come Chapter with this. Three. We got this. We should, we we should come it. with this energy yeah. every episode, so then it won't be so <laughs> stark when Tony Stark. Okay, I'm sorry. Here we go. Chapter three. The Wilsons go to fix everything that just went wrong, and the parents go to help. Ollie begins to interrogate Mr. Voland on his ghostly experience. He's seen a ghost before, and yeah, it scared him. Say, you kids want a ghost hunt with me? Brian and Coco don't, but Ollie does. So guess how they're spending the day? Mr. Volan says they'll need a notebook and pencil to take notes, and Ollie rushes upstairs ahead of the others. Brian and Coco have a discussion. They're willing to go along with this ghost hunt to help distract Ollie from her dad possibly hooking up with Coco's mom, while Ollie's mom is possibly a ghost. Coco still doesn't like the idea, since, as she tells Brian, she's already seen two apparitions. He believes her now, probably because he's noticed the dead animals in the lobby have shifted positions since last night. They realize that the three of them need to confer and share notes. Up ahead, they hear someone struggling to get out of a closet and calling for help. They kind of think it's Ollie, but aren't sure. But who else is here, right? Disregarding Brian's warning not to, Coco throws open the door to find... Nothing. Okay, chapter four. All right. Meanwhile, Ollie's not in the closet. She's getting her stuff together and angsting over her father, daring to be happy with another woman when suddenly her watch goes off. The special mom communicating watch, which saved everybody's ass in the first book. Um, Lots of blurry letters flash across the clock's face before it finally says, beware, then goes blank and silent. Nope, nope, no, 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 no. Wisely, Ollie hauls ass out of there to be around other people. Uh, there's no Coco and Brian down in the lobby, only Mr. Volan standing around uselessly while Mrs. Wilson works trying to clean out the fireplace. Uh, the stuffed bear is in a new position, but we don't have time to unpack all that. Ollie gets Mr. V alone and asks him how to talk to ghosts. He warns her that he'll only give her info if she's for cereal, not funsies. Ollie says it's anything but fun. She and her friends have super sucky and traumatizing ghost experience, and he's all quid pro quo Clarice, wanting her to give up what she knows. When she tells him a little about her mom dying, he pretty viciously says that communing with her dead mother won't make her less jealous of Coco and her mom having this. Sir, this is a child you're speaking to. When Ollie's appalled, Mr. V's like, I want the truth, and this guy sucks. Poor, desperate Ollie's about to confess to this asshole who probably follows Ben Shapiro on Twitter. When her phone goes... <laughs> when her phone goes off beeping, and Coco and Brian come tearing in, gibbering about their ghostly clo- closet encounter upstairs. Mr. V and the gang go upstairs to check out the closet. He has the kids stand around listening for a while before they open the door. There's still nothing inside, but a creepy smiley face is carved into the wall. Brian starts to go in to check it out up close, but Ollie remembers the no closets rule from her dream and stops him. 
Then at the end of the hallway, they see a tall, bony black shape grinning at them. Mr. V hilariously tells them to take notes, but Coco wants to go back to the lobby. The lobby? Coco, I'm cross-country skiing in the road to get the hell away from this place. The lobby. <laughs> Fuck off out of my face with that shit. <laughs> uh, I just want to say, I didn't put it in my notes, but I got I got to say, when Mr. Volan shows up and he starts talking, I'm like, I don't trust anybody who doesn't speak with contractions. Use some contractions. It's awkward, it's weird, it's clunky. They exist for a reason. But I had no I I really wasn't guessing who he was because I didn't remember the first book really super well, so That reminds me of there's a there's a comic I read and there's a character who Oh, it's one of the webcomics I read, who um doesn't use contractions because when they use contractions they start to slip into their old accent and they hate their old accent. And the only way that they can stop from doing it is to force themselves to never use contractions. I don't like it. Only serial killers don't use contractions. <laughs> You're right. Only serial... Oh, never mind. Serial killers. <laughs> so hide your serial... Only slurlial killers. Slurly... You know, slurlial killers. You know, they always make podcasts about them. Aw, oh, damn it. Words! Am I right? Guess not. (laughs) (laughs) The other hard part about the remote recording is that with the delay, sometimes it will will delay longer for one of us than the other. So, like, I'll think that I am responding at the right time and I'm not. Or, like, we'll end up overlapping just because of how the delay ends up going. And so part of it is me trying to be, like, I want to make sure I leave space in case that's not the end of their sentence or something like that. But then to you, it just sounds like whatever you said fell completely flat. (laughs) It's like, I don't necessarily mean it that way. (laughs) Which, to be fair, does happen. So it's okay. Um, also with this dude showing up and he's like all like the ghost expert and crap, I got really strong. This is when I started picking up on the, all the lovely bad ones vibes. Cause I'm like, oh, ghost hunters are here, but he's not quite a ghost hunter. He's more like a ghost researcher, which, uh, not really actually, cause I'll cover it later. But, um, anyway, what, what were your notes on this, on these events, sir? Uh, I wasn't really expecting the watch to come back into play. It was a good surprise, yeah. Yeah, so it went, like when it was like the the watch flashed again, and it didn't say anything anymore. But she knew that it just said beware. I was like, oh, oh crap, oh man, oh jeez. <laughs> At least it wasn't like a cryptic countdown again, right? That was yeah, like, that was why very did you stressful. do that? Because <laughs> the cryptic countdown, like I was like tense and my stomach hurt. I'm like, oh god. All right, let's keep the show going. All right, chapter five. Mr. Volan's all, I'm sorry, you're all piss babies afraid of a simple ghosty poo. And Ollie's like, no, screw you, we're leaving, and the kids go back downstairs. Finally alone, the kids start comparing notes. Ollie telling them about her watch and sharing, the, uh, and the girls sharing their dreams. Brian thinks it's far-fetched that there's more than three ghosts, and I really don't understand his logic. Didn't they see multiple ghosts in the last book? Is there just a ghostly quota a little lower in this county that I don't know about since I'm not from Vermont? Help me out here. Bernie, what do you think? There can be as many ghosts as need to be. 
in these counties and everyone gets a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> we need universal ghost care for everyone. And then he, then he's like, here's my campaign song and it's Ghostbusters. Okay, all right, back to this. Okay, Brian does think that they shouldn't be so eager to trust Mr. Voland, and that's valid. So Brian escapes being the one clutching the idiot ball in this book. Brian even suggests that they go to the parents and tell them everything. Yes, Brian, I'm sorry I doubted you. But Ollie says her dad doesn't believe in ghosts and shoots down his suggestion. Um, the kids suddenly hear whistling, and it's not Mrs. Wilson's bird clock, since that only goes off on the hour. Then there's child laughter, and a cold wind rushes around them, and all the taxidermy animals are staring them down, showing teeth. Why are we still here? Run, bitches! A ghost girl on the stairs, looking all gray, white, and frostbitten, stares at them and mouths, Don't listen! Then Mr. V comes bolting down the stairs. Who's the pissed baby now? He tells them he found Mother Hamlock and pulls up his sleeve, showing white marks that look like early signs of frostbite. He says they're in trouble. Yeah, no shit. This is why you don't fuck with ghosts, BuzzFeed Unsolved. I had fun calling him BuzzFeed Unsolved. (laughs) Yeah, picturing Shane and Ryan investigating this house was pretty fun. (laughs) A hundred years ago, the lodge used to be an orphanage (laughs) run by Mother Hemlock. What kind of a name is Mother Hemlock? Hello, children. I'm named after Poison. <laughs> Did you want to add anything? No. Have you ever played Betrayal at House on the Hill, the board game? No, I, I'm i not a board game person. So Betrayal at, the, at House on the Hill is a game where uh, you're exploring a haunted house and you're like you're revealing different rooms and stuff as you're going through. And each time you reveal something new and spooky, I... Uh, you roll the dice, and there's, like, a threshold, and if you ever roll across that threshold, then the haunt starts, which is where the game's flipped. The game flips into, like, phase two, where all of a sudden, instead of just exploring a spooky house, whatever lives there has, like, been triggered and is trying to kill you, and you're trying to, like, make your escape. And so this kind of is actually structured like that, um, in the sense that I don't have a whole ton to add until we get to, like, the switch you, you you know what I'm talking yeah. about when it, when it changes uh-huh. into the the other half of the story. Right. I have, I definitely have more discussed there. Until then, I have a couple of things to add. Like I have like one or two notes for chapter six, but I'm mostly just helping you along. Okay, sure. Thank you. I need all the yes. help I can get. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, chapter six. The heat's not working, so Mr. Voland makes a fire in the fireplace. The kids ask him about his experience upstairs. He's clearly thrown because most of the ghosts he's encountered before are just memories of people. But then there's some ghosts that have memories and motivations and actually act of their own volition. Mother Hemlock is this second type of ghost. He's unclear on what her motivations are, but she seems to want to keep them there. It's important to keep the fire going, though. Ghosts hate firelight. Uh, the fire's really weak, though, burning like the wood's wet when it isn't. The parents come in then, announcing that they couldn't get the generator running, even though there's nothing visibly wrong with it. The propane won't heat either, and they can't get anyone to come out and fix it in the storm. Coco pulls out her phone and Googles Mount Hemlock and Ghost. She finds a news story about a 17-year-old skier named Gabriel Bouvier disappearing on the mountain about five years ago. They never found him. When they try to do more research, Coco's phone loses service, as does everyone's. Mrs. Wilson tries the uh, landline phone, but apparently the phone lines are down, too. 
When Coco's mom asks about a radio or a satellite phone, Mrs. W says they're supposed to be shipped on Thursday. Um, Ollie's dad firmly tells them that everything's fine, while the Arrested Development's narrator says nothing was fine. <laughs> Thank you, Ron Howard. <laughs> he points out that there's lots of firewood and food, and they'll camp out downstairs near the fire. Uh, Mr. V is doing no helping in planning, just keeping an eye out for anything on the stairs. The kids ask him if Mother H is keeping it cold, and he's like, duh, yeah, ghosts like when we're weak and scared because then we acknowledge them. Now Mrs. W's clock goes off on the hour, but Ollie's watch begins beeping as well. Uh, I said they... that my watch beeped. <laughs> I don't have a dead mother. It's okay. I have a dead father, though. It's not his watch. It's okay. I don't know what he'd tell me, though. He'd, he'd probably uh, yeah. just say, like, I'm hungry. And I'd be like, you're always hungry, you fat ass. And then he'll get all offended. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm getting a message on my watch. Is this Anything my... good on MTV? No, not for decades. Yeah, father. <laughs> when everybody comes back and Mrs. Wilson is like, my goodness, dearie, did you have a good time ghost hunting or whatever? I'm like, are you the villain? You should be with that bullshit way of talking to children. She's not six. <laughs> this only happens like two months-ish after Small Spaces. And I I feel like they should have been a bit more adamant about... Like, like, I know that they hadn't, like, told their parents everything about it, but, like, between the three of them, I would have expected them to be more, like, earlier on be like, no, none of this is right. This is obviously something more. We need to be very serious about getting out of here or, like, I don't know. I feel like they were just right. a little bit slow on the uptake. Yeah, uh, they kind of, she kind of brings that up, like, later about how ill-prepared they were, mostly because... They never really talked about this again. They're like, we're going to pretend that didn't happen. Yeah. That was a one-off weird thing, because why would that keep happening? And they just focused on their everyday lives and stuff without ever having a discussion again. Um, they're not going to make that mistake again. Um, yeah. But uh, in this... Yeah, it's almost like they uh, they like tried to suppress it. Yeah, exactly. And that's why you don't do that, kids. Otherwise, you're going to get taken in by ghosts again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me two times. Don't get fooled again. <laughs> Chapter 7. Mr. V demands that Ollie tells him what the deal with the watch is, since it seems like their only advantage right now with nothing else working. The watch is just spewing letters and not making sense. So Ollie explains it to Mr. V, though Brian visibly disapproves of this move. Bitch, me too. The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. V agrees to help her contact her mom tonight after dark. Ollie's all, don't tell my dad, and Brian and I are ready to shake the shit out of her. Brian really wants to tell the adults, but gets pushback from Mr. V, who's a huge creep. The parents come back in the room with the firewood, and Ollie's dad tells them to go upstairs for blankets and warm clothes. No. But Mr. V points out <laughs> it's better to go up now than at night. He says that he'll go with them, and they'll all hold hands. At this point, I said, fuck you, out loud to the book. So <laughs> so they all hold hands and go upstairs, where it's darker than it should be given the time of day. And hey, they've been walking for forever. Shouldn't they have come across a room by now? And whose feet are wet because there's footprints? In the mirror, Ollie sees five shadows when there's only four of them. And Ollie realizes she doesn't know whose hand she's holding. 
I've already made the who was phone joke. When she looked... <laughs> Yeah, I started to write it. I went, no, you've done that. And I was like, oh. <laughs> anyway, when she looks in the mirror, she sees the ghost in the ski parka and mask, and it ain't letting go of her hand until Mr. V wraps his hand in his jacket and shatters the mirror. With the mirror broken, they see that they were at the end of the corridor, right in front of their rooms the whole time. Bladedly, Ollie remembers the other rule the ghost told her. Don't look in mirrors. Dude, when ghosts tell you the rules for the for the whole story, write it down. That's the notes you should be taking. I was a little creeped out by the the hand holding thing. I didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> it was like so close on the heels of we're keeping it a secret from your parents, and I'm like, no, no secrets, no hand holding. This is what are we boyfriends? Go away. I should clarify uh, both parts of the hand holding part. Both the adult telling the strange children that we should all hold hands and go up to the dark hallway together, and also the I'm holding hands with the ghost. Both of those were creepy. Yes, in, different in ways. completely different ways. I'd rather hold hands with the ghost. <laughs> be real. <laughs> Let's get Tegan and Sarah in here. They have that song. Oh crap! The ghost. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> they just come like this bris out of the closet. No matter which way you go, <laughs> they're like, "Oh, who invited Canadians here?" <laughs> okay. Not that we might. It's okay. It's okay. They're lesbians. Okay, you can stay. I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> they're lesbians and they're twins. Do you think they... No. No, that's not... That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Shut up. That's not how any of Shut this works. Shut up, flowers in the attic. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's the... Yeah, they were twins. But not identical. Yeah. But not identical, yeah. so it's legal. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Have I told the story in the po- on the podcast about my experience with flowers in the attic? I was at the library once, and this woman was with her husband, and she's kind of, like, looking through all the stacks. She goes, no, I just, God, I wish I could remember. I can't think. And then she sees me and goes, oh, you look like you'd know. Who wrote Flowers in the Attic? And I was super offended, but I did know the answer. (laughs) What does that mean, though? I don't know. Maybe because. What did you look like? Bookish. Maybe I looked like the right age bracket to maybe have read it. I don't, I don't know. But I was like. Oh, screw you, but it's V.C. Andrews. <laughs> okay, so I will say that for at least a short period of time, the uh, Don Volan punching out the mirror bought him some points for me to avert my sp- suspicions. Not entirely, but like... Give him a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt. Yeah, same. It doesn't last long, no. but I was like, I was like, that was actually helpful. Hmm. I was like, that was so badass. Like, if I'd been there, I would have been all like impressed by that because that's the kind of kid I was. Like, he destroyed something to save me. <laughs> Just imagine if Batty had been there. He should. She would have been. He shouldn't have broken the mirror. The ghost just needed friends. He was holding my hand. What if Fatty is just in all of the books? Like, I, I'm i not sure that we have read a book that wouldn't have been made a la- at least a little bit better with the presence of Batty. Oh, like, like, like Batty and, like, Children of Blood and Bone, and she's just embracing those, like, really horrific-sounding, like, giant cats and stuff. Like, this yeah. is, I've named him Toothy, because he's got lots of teeth. <laughs> and you're like, Batty, get out of the way. <laughs> and when they're like... 
in that dreamscape where they're talking to each other, there's like all those fields of flowers. She's like picking all of them. I'm making a chain for Rosalind. And they're like, go away. We're trying to. (laughs) (laughs) In Fablehaven, she wants to ride the um, centaurs. Okay, but real talk, uh, Batty and what's his name? The Golem or whatever. Yes. Oh, my God. BFFs. BFFs. Yes. (laughs) That's my dream team right there. (laughs) <laughs> and she's in pumpkin heads just eating like Frito pie after Frito pie. <laughs> you can't prove she wasn't there. She, oh my God, he totally, Ms., Mr. Penderwick totally took them to that place. That Absolutely. He would live for that place. And then like Sky is like, I need to work here. I need to work here. See, this is the sort of stuff that like, I. that's why I'm bummed that there was the time jump for the Penderwicks. Not necessarily because it would like, there may still be a good story to tell when they're older, but, like, I want that dynamic to go other places. Yeah. You know? I want to see them go to the zoo. I, or The moon. You know? <laughs> okay, we should head on, keep going. Yeah. Let's go to chapter eight. So, anyway, um, they grab their shit and they go downstairs where they take the candy bowl from the lobby and ignore that the stuffed raccoons are all leering at them. Uh, they spend the day in front of the fire, eating, reading, and playing chess. Ollie helps her dad make ham sammies for Dindin and spots a... <laughs> Fine, I, kn- I didn't know you were going to laugh at that. Sorry, I just love sammies, because I will forget, and then I will remember how much I love the word sammies. See, I like it too, and I think everyone who gets upset by it needs to like sit down and like take a few chill pills and just try not to be bothered by things that aren't actually that harmful. Anyway... So anyway, they made the din din, and then they uh, she spots a creepy little door that goes down to the basement. Ollie's dad tells her not to go down there. She's like, "I have no interest in going there." We the readers know that they're totally going down into Chekhov's basement at some yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie asks her dad if he believes in ghosts, and he gives this "I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual" kind of bullshit answer that means no. I kind of understand Ollie not letting him in on this now. Uh, Coco, meanwhile, flat out tells her mom that she's scared and that they saw a ghost earlier. Her mom thinks it's Coco's imagination, but, like, is Coco really given to flights of fancy? She won't even read fiction. I'm annoyed with the adults right now. Anyway, it's time to bunk down for the night, and Ollie and Brian get in one more fight about their seance with Mr. Voland, which Coco very diplomatically breaks up. She's a good kid. I like her. <laughs> do you have anything? She is a good kid. I, this, is, this is actually where I do... For reals is this time call it uh, that Mr. Boland's the villain. I mean, his name begins with a V for villain. Right? Right. V for villain. (laughs) I mean, why else would you bring that up? It was specifically when they're getting ready for bed and he's like, try and get some rest. Don't sleep. Stay alert. I'll get you when it's time. Because he's got like the whole plan. I was like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Because then everybody else will be asleep. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah. You're like that was my. Either he's gonna betray them horribly, or he's got something in his pocket to show them. Neither is good. Okay, chapter nine. Ollie falls asleep and dreams the lodge is in ruins. She finds their ghost girl crying and saying she can't go home until she finds her bones. When Ollie offers to help, the ghost flips out, saying that Ollie's now as trapped as she is. That's not great to hear. The ghost runs away, and when Ollie tries to follow, her way is blocked by a woman dressed in black who grabs Ollie's arm. Ollie wakes and sees Mr. V sitting at the table waiting for her. She wakes the others, and they go over to him. And this guy, this big old ghost expert who's been tooting his own horn about his vast knowledge of the paranormal, 
his big old plan to get in touch with Ollie's mom and get some information to save them all. It's a motherfucking Ouija board. Are you kidding me? I'd shove the plant shit up his ass and then beat him with the board. I feel like, are you serious? I'll tell you what this reminded me of. I'll tell you what this reminded me of. Um, in the 90s, like the uh, early 90s, yeah, I think like 92 or so, my mom went to one of those degree mill kind of places to learn um, nursing assisting. And she was getting close to graduation. And she goes to like the career counselor person and sits down with them. Is like, yeah, I'm just um, I'm. I'm graduating soon. I just want to know what jobs are out there. And you'd think with like a school, they'd have like connections and stuff and be like, oh, well, these are people we know and da da da. No, this woman yeah. took out a newspaper, looked at the want ads, and my mom's like, I could have done that. <laughs> so, what the heck? Yes. <laughs> so that's what that reminded me of. I'm like, he brought a Ouija board. They could have got their notebook paper and just made it themselves, you know? It, yeah. God. Well, like right after, right after it's like it's a Ouija board. I think you're about to get to it. But I think Brian like starts reading the instructions. I'm like, his big plan was a commercially available toy that has instructions and probably like a minimum age for use. It's- Kids, this is a bad plan. It was written by Milton Bradley. <laughs> like, what the shit? <laughs> okay, I'm glad you had the same reaction. <laughs> So, um, as we, as you were kind of saying, Brian hates this too and takes the time to read through the rules. He's most concerned by the last rule, which is always say goodbye at the end. And Mr. V's like, yeah, we'll say goodbye. Can we do this already? Um, Mr. V has Ollie concentrate on her mother and then they ask if she's there. The board says, hello, Olivia, and beware. The ghosts want to keep you here. Ollie asks what they should do and the board tells her that all her answers will be in the mirror if she goes to look. That's the opposite of everything we've been told so far. Brian points out that one of the rules is not to believe everything the board tells you, but Ollie buys it hook, line, and sinker. She goes to the mirror with Mr. Voland egging her on and sees a woman there tapping on the glass. The woman, who kind of has Ollie's mom's curly hair, presses her hand to the glass. Ollie does the same and whoops, it's Mother Hemlock, and she yanks Ollie right into a creepy mirror world. Nice going, Ollie. Uh, the only thing I actually had written in this chapter was it says Ollie's palms were sweating, and then I just wrote so these weak moms yeah, again. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do like this is gonna be the, this is kind of dumb, but I I like when they choose good fonts for things. Like they chose a good font to represent the Ouija board messages. Isn't that what the Ouija lettering looks like? Yeah, but I mean, like... So I, I was impressed by that, too. I was just like, I think that's actually what the board looks like. I will so, never have one in my house. I don't believe in ghosts, but why would I invite that anyway? Yeah, that's... I th- I think there are a large number of people who are like, I don't necessarily believe in this thing. I'm not going to get any benefit out of, like, poking that bear. <laughs> like, I'm just going to be over here while you do that. Bye-bye. Alright, let's get let's get in let's get into the back half. Oh yes. Here go, we go. Go through the turn. Yes. I, through the looking glass. I thought you were saying the turd. I'm like, wow, okay. I thought you liked this book. <laughs> Alright, chapter ten. Ollie's by herself in the lodge from her dreams. Through the mirror she sees Coco and Brian frantically looking for her. Only Mr. Voland sees her. She begs him for help, but who boy, Mr. V is really Seth, the smiling man, our antagonist from the last book. He's not happy that Ollie beat him last time and says she won't this time and holds up her watch. Shit. So, new game since she beat his ghost and scarecrow hellscape last time. 
she has until dawn to find a way out of the mirror. Brian and Coco can agree to help her, but if they fail, they join Ollie behind the mirror. The grown-ups will wake up in the morning and have no memory of the kids. Fun game? No, it's not. But Coco and Brian agree to play anyway because they don't suck. Then they try to pull Ollie back, but that's not the way. Why would it be easy? Wouldn't it have been really funny if that's all it took? And he's like, what? Right, he he's was like, just Wait, like, what? He, he was like, they're like, okay, now what? And he's just like, uh. he pulls out like a little pocket notebook and starts flipping through the pages. <laughs> and they're like, you, you like tried so hard last time. It's like, this was barely an attempt, sir. <laughs> anyway, suddenly Coco and Brian start screaming for her to run, but too late. Mother Hemlock sneaks up behind Ollie and grabs her. Uh, I, Ooh, was, was I was pretty... Yeah, and I was pretty excited about the Smiling Man return, like, just, like, I don't think I had remembered specifically that the Smiling Man was going to be kind of their nemesis enemy for each one of these. Like, I just knew that they were going to be encountered spooky things, but when I was like, oh, okay, so it's like, like, this is just the next battle in the war. Yes. Like, I was was pretty down for that, because it gives a chance to explore that character a bit more and you know the good villains are should usually be explored to a similar degree as your main character so giving a chance for that to happen would hopefully bode well for some of this Uh, he's a good villain like i had a fun time hating him but never got to the point of i'm upset because i hate this guy so much it was more like you right dirty bitch you know right (laughs) (laughs) it's like I liked him a little bit more when I wasn't thinking of him as like a creepy kitty fiddler at the beginning. So I'm just like, okay, okay. You're just, you're just creepy, like smiling man, dude. Okay. You got some beef. That's your problem. That's all right. Right. (laughs) I was like, oh, I thought you were a molester. Okay. No, this is fine. (laughs) You just want to trap kids in a mirror forever. Understandable. (laughs) I mean, like, yeah. I could get behind that easier. Especially since she took they, they completely destroyed his last setup. So he's like, how dare you? Do you know how long it took me to get it just how I liked it? I had all these scarecrows that did my bidding. Is this just his test run before the grand opening of his new ski lodge? He sure picked some very challenging children for the test run. <laughs> Should have gone after the Penderwicks. <laughs> oh, no, I th- hmm. I guess it depends on who ends up in the mirror and who ends up on the outside. <laughs> Like, Jane would end up in the mirror, because Jane would totally buy it and go into the mirror. Yeah. And it would be up to Skye and Rosalind, mostly, to, like... But, like, Sky, Sky on the other side of the mirror, like, that's not a bad choice. Sky volunteers, as tribute, to go through the mirror, because she's like, I don't like Jane being alone, and we need to look on the yeah. other side for stuff, so I'm going to go help Jane. And then it's, like, Batty and Rosalind, look, Rosalind, I found a ghost boy! And she's holding Gabe by the hand, like, tugging him along. It's like, he's very shy. He can't talk. <laughs> How badly do you want this now? Should we write fan fiction? Okay. Do, do, what do you think is the current market for Penderwick fan fiction? How many competitors do you think we have? What are, I'm just thinking like AO3. Like, what are you thinking? Like, actually try and publish it? No, no, no. I, I, I mean the metaphorical market share of like, how many writers do you think there are and how many people would actually read that? Because like, I do wish there were more stories of that age of Penderwick. I think we would have a blast just writing that just for our enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't written fan fiction in years. 
that'd be a fun uh, that'd at least be like a fun writing exercise because then you don't have to do the work of like crafting yeah. the world on your own i'm i'm writing fan fiction now for NaNoWriMo. i've yeah. done that the last few years running it just gives me some practice writing and then like it's just it's just lots of fun uh what's your established world i don't want to talk about it <laughs> i won't look it up i'm just curious you wouldn't have heard of it and it's so small that i don't want to give myself away is it okay I mean, I'll de- I will Susie's <laughs> cut it, but is it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> sp- not really fan fiction, but I guess established universes. I just learned uh, that there is a young adult novel of uh, Max from Stranger Things. Oh, took me a second to like know what you meant. Yeah. You said Max from Stranger Things, and I pictured Alex Mack, and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I wonder if there's any Alex Mack fan fiction. Well, there will be now. <laughs> Alex Mack was great. Like a crossover. <gasps> what if like Alex Mack showed up to like the Midnight Society to tell like ghost stories with the kids? And she just turns into liquid and just keeps telling the story. Okay, but we <laughs> here's the thing, though. We talked about this in the last episode. But what if we actually did like the 90s Nick cinematic universe and crossed over all of those. Yes. <laughs> Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. I call this story Pete and Pete meets the Frankenstein. <laughs> the story is Pete and Pete. And they get the day saved by Artie showing up and like kicking Frankenstein's yes. butt. <laughs> and maybe like little Pete like wiggles Petunia and she like comes to life and comes out and she helps too. Uh, why'd that small child have a tattoo? Especially such a suggestive one. That's so weird. They never explain. They never explain. They don't need to. I wonder how many fan fiction, like Petunia origin fan fiction stories there are. I think my favorite idea is that he was just born with it. (laughs) Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Petunia. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, chapter 11. I'm sorry. We're having fun. We are. It's a fun episode. We We are having fun, and I have no problem having fun for a long time, but I do periodically look at the recording length and think about how much work it takes to edit it, and then I'm like, I do try to keep it under two All right, I'll stop talking to you. Chapter 11. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 11, the 11th chapter. Chapter 12, more of this book. We're done. Wow, Mara, that was really I thought you were going to do chapter 11, the 11th chapter, the poison for Cusco. Cusco's poison. (laughs) (laughs) Shit, we're doing it. I'm sorry. Okay, chapter 11, bankruptcy. There's no way for Coco and Brian to help Ollie, so Coco turns away to confront the smiling man who's laughing his ass off on the couch. She sees Ollie's watch on his wrist and demands it back. He's like, how about no, you pink-haired little runt? She challenges him to a chess game. If she wins, she gets the watch back. If Seth wins, he gets to trap Brian in the mirror, too. Meanwhile, Mother Hemlock is dragging Ollie off to the punishment closet when Gabriel Bouvier steps in and tries to stop her. Mother H waves him away, and Ollie takes advantage of this distraction by breaking loose and running away. Unfortunately, the taxidermy bear has followed her to this sucky mirror world and blocks the way. It runs at Ollie, and she changes direction, running into the kitchen. She can only hold the door shut on this bear for so long. Um, Luckily, the ghost girl appears and points out a cupboard for Ollie to hide. She gets in, and the bear and Mother Hemlock start searching for her. Ollie grabs a plate and throws it to distract them, and then takes off in the opposite direction, heading for the creepy basement door. Sounds about right. 
I, I wanted so badly to make like a joke, like, because they're in Vermont, it's not going to be a fiddle contest. But I'm like, I don't really know how to really work that in very well. So there was a missed opportunity for a devil went down to Georgia reference. (laughs) 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 Anyway, what were you about to say? Something smarter than what I just Uh, said? Nope. Ah! My only comment was going to be that I I had forgotten the particular detail of Coco not reading fiction until Brian was like, you got this. It'll be just like in Harry Potter. And she's like, I never read it. And I was like, oh, that's right. You're boring. But she's not, she's not boring. She, we disagree on preferred reading, but I do actually really like a lot of aspects of her character. She's very relatable in a lot of ways. And she seems like an actual, like, thoughtful, good person. Yes. And I also wanted to say something that is also not intelligent, but like that whole scene of her hiding in the kitchen while she's getting hunted down. I had strong Jurassic Park vibes. Jurassic Park? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh shit, just start tapping with the ladle on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and maybe they'll go after your reflection <laughs> Jurassic Park is like the best movie ever made just say I think I've said that on this podcast before Jurassic Park is one of the two Steven Spielberg movies that I genuinely really E.T.? Like. no that one made me really upset when he I died. hate that movie anyway what was the other Steven Spielberg movie Jaws I'm a big fan of Hook that's Steven Spielberg it is I really enjoy Hook bangerang um yeah, so those are my two Spielbergs. All right. Um, are we ready for Chapter 12? Sure. All right. Chapter 12. They sit down to play their game of chess, and Seth gradually loses his obnoxious smirk when he sees how good Coco is. Our girl wins the game, and she gets the watch back. But she senses that he's going to do something shitty since he's a sore loser, so she grabs the Ouija board, knocks over the chess set, and then yells at Brian to run. So they're running away, and Brian wants to know why Coco grabbed the Ouija board, and she says she saw it reflected in the mirror, meaning it exists in both reality and Mirrorland. Sure, why not? Uh, they run upstairs where the lights are on, but emitting a green glow, and they're going so fast that Coco loses Brian. She calls out for him, but he doesn't answer. Suddenly, a closet door nearby begins rattling, and Brian's voice is calling for help. Then it happens at the next door, then the next door, and the next... Uh, Coco has no idea what to do and then realizes that Ollie's watch is beeping from her pocket. Coco thinks it's Ollie's mom trying to help her, but she's leery of trusting it after the Ouija disaster. So she asks a few questions that only people who know Ollie will be able to answer using a beep once for no, twice for yes. And then Coco decides to trust the watch since no other option is available. The watch guides Coco past all the doors to the end of the hall and a staircase leading downwards. I must I, I I I like made notes to try and fix it and course correct because um I was trying to kind of um keep all the Coco and Bryant's I see I tried to like two towers it where I kind of keep the story of Mary and Pippin separate from everybody else whereas in the film they kind of interlace all of it because it is all happening simultaneously so I I tried right. to Tolkien my way through this when I realized that's not actually how it's told and there's even a chapter break so I should actually try and keep it similar to how the book wrote it. I mean, what we've learned here is that neither of us are Tolkien. I am so not Professor Tolkien. That man had skills that I could not even consider. He had skills to pay the bills. I think my favorite story about him is like stoners were calling him in England, asking him if the Balrog had wings. (laughs) The stoners are like in America, and it's like midnight in England. He's in bed, so he's woken up by like, uh, J.R.R., can I call you Jar? Uh, Like, the Balrog of Wings. And he's like, who is this? (laughs) 
well? It doesn't. I mean, in the in the film, in the film, it does, right? I don't think so. Otherwise, wouldn't it have flown up when it fell? If it has wings in the film, they aren't like huge wings. They're more for like just a display, like a meeting. Is it like thing. vestigial? Is that what that word means? They're vestigial. Yeah. Things? Okay. Oh, I'm googling the Balrog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does have wings in the film, but nowhere near big enough to actually let that thing fly. I mean, they're big, but the Balrog is pretty, pretty big. Yeah, he got pretty chunky down in there with, like, no, like, regular exercise or, like, hanging out with his buds. Like, hey, you want to go for a jog, Balrog? And he's like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> I like, this sounds weird, the relationship between Coco and the watch because it's, it's a, it's a slightly different dynamic because it's not her watch and her mom. And so it's it's the mom helping the friend, and so it's between that and the watch kind of losing some of its power because it can't it it doesn't have much to display anymore. Yeah. So it can just work with the like beeping. He's, um, but then he's the, suppressing a lot of it, so she can't yeah. be as clear as she used to be. But she's kind of trying to come up with workarounds to try to communicate. Yeah, and they're they're both they're both intelligent enough to figure out like not just the once for yes, twice for no, but like confirming like. She doesn't even ask questions in a, like, in a directed manner. It's just like a statement. And then she waits for the watch to correct the statement or approve it to determine if it's actually Ollie's mom. Boy, Ollie sure hates bustle sprouts. And she's like, no. You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I liked that one. <laughs> well, she does it like every so often too. So she's kind of like trying to throw it off, yeah. throw it off guard if it's not the correct thing. It's also kind of good that yeah. while the watch is in this diminished capacity, um, Ollie doesn't have it because I imagine how frustrating and kind of heartbreaking that would be that like your yeah, mom is reduced to beeps. Like... So it's good that it goes yeah. to Coco who doesn't have that emotional connection and she can and she uh, didn't really have the experience of using the watch herself so that she's coming coming to it without as many expectations or whatever. And she's like, well, it is what it is. I'm going to use this how I can. Yeah. So it is a good um, storytelling decision. I felt. Mm hmm. Chapter 13. Ollie runs down the basement and finds a lit oil lamp on a table, and it's it means it's lighted. It's not like, hey, welcome to the party. <laughs> that oil lamp was so lit. <laughs> um, amongst all the boxes and shadows, the little girl appears, telling Ollie that she shouldn't have come here. Uh, meanwhile, Coco is also going down the stairs, and she sees her name written on the walls, along with, you left me and I hate you. She's upset about it until she realizes that she doesn't recognize the handwriting as belonging to either of her friends. So she continues down into the basement, and she also finds the lit oil lamp. Hmm. She calls for Brian, and the watch starts beeping. Um, Ollie and the ghost girl are talking. The ghostie is Gretel. She's hiding from Mother Hemlock. Find your own hiding place. Uh, they hear footsteps and start to panic, but then there's also the familiar watch beeping, and suddenly the Ouija board clatters to the ground in front of them. Coco has dropped the Ouija board while trying to silence the watch. The board suddenly floats onto the table. Coco puts the planchette down, and Ollie and Coco begin communicating through it, making sure each is who the other claims to be. Uh, they each catch each other up on what's been going on uh, until poor Gabriel Bouvier appears. He's unable to talk, so Ollie has him use the board, too. He tells them that the way out is through Gretel's bones, 
they're in a closet somewhere on the second floor in Coco's version of the lodge. She needs to show them in the bunk room mirror with Gretel on the other side, and then the mirror will open. Coco tries to ask where Brian is, but the watch starts beeping in a panic. Then the board says, do you know what happens to thieves? There's footsteps, and Seth's voice says, thieves are punished, and the lamp goes out. Like, I would have pooped myself. <laughs> She's walking down the hall, and it, it says her name across the, the walls, and it just says Coco over and over again. And uh, Foster's home for imaginary friends. There is an imaginary friend named Coco, and it's this bird, and all it can say is its own name. And so when it says that in through here, it just says Coco, Coco, Coco. And so I picture her going, Coco! You're like, it's just a bird, um, it's okay. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, I like how they, how when they start using the Ouija board, they're using, like, text speech, and it's like, new Ouija board, who dis? <laughs> <laughs> and no one ever, ever actually said goodbye at, and at the end of any of these things. So, who knows what, nothing's happening. Nothing happened because of that. Because it wasn't really a ghost connect. Well, I guess it kind of was, but not really. Your favorite color, purple. Fave dessert, pie. What kind pie? Apple, prove you cocoa. Prove you cocoa. <laughs> you know what also reminds me of is, like, there's this TikTok of, like, this dog that communicates through hitting buttons. And the sentences are kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Prove you cocoa. Bunny, hmm? <laughs> <laughs> the dog's name's Bunny. And, and it's just really kind of cute. She's been learning the time of day recently, and she's like, park today. It's like, no, we're going to park tomorrow. And the dog kind of stands there a bit, like, processing it, like, park tomorrow. And then she just hits, love you, mom. (laughs) It's really cute. Yes, I love love Bunny. You should look her up. I think she's got a YouTube channel as well. Okay. Bunny the Talking Dog. Chapter 14. In Ollie's mirror version of the lodge, Mother Hemlock comes clacking on the stairs. Gretel starts freaking out, and Ollie asks Gabe if there's another way out. He points vaguely into the dark. Cool, thanks, dude. Ollie gathers up Gretel on the oil lamp, and they haul ass across the basement. Uh, Coco's not doing too great either. Seth tells her that thieves stay in the basement. Does he know that bitches say what? And then he just... And then he disappears the stairs and the Ouija board. Rude. Coco really wants to flip out, but ain't nobody got time for that. She forces herself to really look at her surroundings, and she notices Gabe's wet footprints. She asks the mom watch if she should follow them, and mom watch is like, I guess. So with that 100% confident affirmation, Coco starts following those tracks. Uh, So I mentioned it here after just going back and forth between Coco and Ollie a couple of times, and I think it's... a I think it's fair to point it out here because it doesn't much change for the rest of it. Possibly my biggest complaint about this book is how underutilized Brian ended up being. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when you find out what happened to him, I was just like, what a frustrating, horrible night. Like, no one one else, but his was really bad. Yeah, I was glad that we got to see, see, like, Coco solving a lot of this and and stuff like that, but I, I was just like... I loved establishing Brian as being, like, hockey team jock, but also book nerd and not what people expected of him. And so I was really excited to, like, have him show off both of his strengths, and it didn't happen very much. He ran and held the Ouija board for a bit, and then he cheered Coco on while she played chess. And, like, that was, Maybe, you know? maybe if she'd thrown him in to do something, 
Yeah. Then maybe this wouldn't have felt so rushed. Like he could have had something to do. You know what? That makes sense. I was just like, there's a missing element here. And you're like, uh, Brian. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> Crap. There's three friends and he did nothing. Poor guy. Yeah. <sighs> Chapter 15. Ollie and the ghosts hustle themselves to a door, which opens up onto stairs, which lead upward. Gretel is reluctant, but Mother Hemlock, crazy villain whispering, is a big motivator for her to move her ass. Gabe brings up the rear. That's two butt references in one go. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that. Right now. Leave no butt joke behind. Okay, and poop. There we go. So Gabe brings up the rear and Ollie thanks him for helping. Thank you for helping with my butt. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, turns out she should have saved her thanks. The stairs lead up to the bunk room, which is which in this ghostly mirror world is the hall full of frozen girls. The dead girls leap up and swarm them and Gabe blocks the door. The smiling man made a deal with him that if he screws Ollie over, he can leave forever. That's cold, Gabe, but then you're a frozen ghost, so that makes sense. Seth appears, and he delivers this bit of explanation here, and is smug about all his machinations, like taking advantage of people's desperation and misery is so clever. Then he dips out, and Mother Hemlock comes in. Um, Ollie flings the oil lamp at her and misses, uh, hits the ground, and the glass shatters. So Mother Hemlock swoops in on Ollie and puts her to bed. Ollie becomes sleepy as her eyes ice over, and then that's it. She's out. Game over, man. Game over. I'll touch on that for in in a second, but I do want to just hop back to where uh, Seth says Gabe's been here a long time, and I just as I was rereading this, I had flashbacks to Bella asking Edward <laughs> how old he is. How long have you been a frozen ghost? But the. It was actually creepy how, like, her thought process as she was falling asleep. She's, like, apologizing to her dad and then kind of realizing that if she was in Gabe's position, maybe she would have done the same thing. And then her last thought is just, Mom? Yeah. And then nothing. I thought that was that was pretty effective. Yeah. Poor Ollie. It reminds me there's a, there's a really scary part of um, Neil Schusterman's Unwind, which is, like... You're basically experiencing the death of a character in real time, and your their thought process as they're dying is is getting like more and more simplified and upsetting. And it was similar to that. Cool. I'll not read that then. Okay, it's really good, but yeah, that's fire. That, that's, that's fire. fire. I was gonna say that's yeah. fair. It's it's that's fair and that's fine became that's fire. <laughs> yeah, man, filthy. I hate myself right now. <laughs> Chapter 16? Chapter 16. Uh, meanwhile, Coco also finds the creepy stairs, but at least she has the oil lamp to help her out until it randomly shatters. Then she bumbles and stumbles the rest of the way up, and she finds herself in the bunk room again. In the mirror, she can see Gabe betraying them and Ollie getting caught. She thinks that since they can't trust Gabe, they must not really be looking for Gretel's bones. So what's supposed to connect the two worlds? There is the Ouija board, but also the oil lamp. As uh, the gears start to turn in her head, uh, Seth appears in the room with her to gloat. You know, Seth, it's possible to be a bad winner. Coco asks him where Brian is, and he tells her that Brian's lost since he's made sure that the doors all go somewhere random. Ready to give up, piss baby? Coco isn't, so Seth disappears because he sucks. Yeah, that would be that would be such a stressful night. Cause, well, you you I don't know. 
Like I'm, I'm thinking about it, like if you if you manage to figure out that all the doors go somewhere totally random, I wouldn't bother like going to new doors. I would just open and shut the same door until it got somewhere I wanted to be. Yeah. Oh my god, it's just, that sounds like me flipping through my for you page on uh, TikTok. No, 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 right. no, no. <laughs> It's like what I do, which is I go through all of the things on my phone until I'm up to date, and then I close them, and then I just open them again, because I have nothing better to do with my life. Chapter 17. Coco's more than done with this shit, so she grabs a marker and paper and goes through the alphabet with the mom watch, telling her what she needs to do to save Ollie. Coco has to call Ollie's name to wake her up, but she needs to be on the other side of the mirror. Coco asks Mom Watch if she's a part of Ollie, and the answer is always. Well, okay. Coco has her plan in place, so it's showtime. Chapter 18. Coco's plan is to immediately start crying. It's not that hard. She says she doesn't want to play anymore, and then Brian appears next to her. They hug, and she basically whispers to him to play along. Then she starts apologizing that she couldn't find Gretel's bones, and Brian is like, Buh, it's not done yet, though. Then she gives Brian the watch, tells him not to follow her, and when the oil lamp comes on, make sure it does not go out. She turns to Gabe and goes, if you were ever a person, ever even a little bit of a good person, answer me. Ollie has matches, doesn't she? And he shamefacedly nods and tells her that they're in Ollie's front pocket. Then she announces that she gives up and Seth appears like, oh, really? Well, OK, I like winning. He opens the mirror portal and Coco goes in. She yells for Ollie to wake up and Ollie does, though her eyes are still frozen. Coco demands the matches, and Ollie hands them over without a thousand questions, so that's good. Coco lights the lamp and sees the one in the bunk room light, too. Unfortunately, Seth has also seen it, and he's reaching to put it out. Coco shouts at Brian to keep the fire going, and he panics and sets the curtains on fire. Solid decision. Uh, the ghost curtains ignite as well, and Coco dumps lamp oil on the floor, too. Then she grabs Ollie, whose ice is starting to melt, and then she gets them through the fire. Brian's like, WTF, but Coco's still all on top of her shit and reminds him that the lodge is on fire. There's even a fire alarm sounding, so I guess the power's back. Uh, Seth is still in the room with them, and he's been watching this stupefied. Coco does her own gloating and lets him know what an asshole he is. Proving her point, he bows and says, until next time, Seth, dude, get a hobby. <laughs> in the mirror, they see the ghost girls in their burning room, but they look relieved, so I guess this is good. Gretel thanks them, and the ghosts vanish into the light. Still a better ending than taking an actual literal stairway to heaven. <laughs> this is where I knew that the book could have benefited from probably another 40 or so pages. Not just the, the lack of Brian doing anything too meaningful, but also, like, the idea of the entire game kind of being a red herring and that the solution being as simple as something that they already had. It was the uh, friends you like, made up along that, the way. Like, I thought that that was, that would be a fair reveal if it didn't feel like she was like, I don't know, they're gonna find some bones or something. I, I don't want to write that. Let's just say it was the Ouija board. I don't know. It felt like she created so many threads and then she was just like, psych, I don't want to deal with any of them. I don't know. It's a fine line to walk, but I didn't quite feel like we earned that trick. It felt like there was, this could have been longer if we made a choose-your-own-adventure book. Like, make it be the Ouija board. Make it be the oil lamp. Make it be, make the, it bones. be the bones. Yeah, it, it's, it, and it, it fell into this, like, because the first one's like, what do we got? We got a smiling man and some scarecrows. Uh, what do we have in the second one? 
Well, we got some ghost girls. We got a ghost boy that disappeared. We still got the smiling man again. We got some taxidermy animals that come to life. And it's like, do you think she, I think they were just, do you think she kind of wrote herself into a corner and was like, okay, what do I have here that I could possibly do that wouldn't be completely obvious? Like the bones thing. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking is like she wrote her, it's almost like she wrote herself into a corner and her solution was to just be like, psych! Here's an almost not earned twist. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I liked it. I still liked it. I just, it's the stuff that didn't work was more obvious to and me. And I figured, and I knew the lamp was in two worlds and it made sense and all that. So, um, cause I, I liked like poor Coco going up the stairs with the thing and then shatter it. Cause I would have been like, I did literally nothing. <laughs> Why did it shatter? All right. You want to take, yeah, I'll on take out? it out? All right, chapter 19. The adults are awake now, and they put the fire out. Ollie bursts into tears and says she wants to go home. My mom would have been angry and been like, it was a long drive, and now the power's on, so we're staying. But Ollie's dad sees how freaked out she is, and he agrees that they can go. Um, the kids sleep the whole car ride back home, and then they wake up to eat waffles when they arrive, and then they go right back to sleep. Uh, they wake up again at dinner time, and Coco... Uh, breaks down her thought process for how she saved everybody's asses. And Brian has decided to stop calling her Tiny. Instead, he's calling her BK for Black Knight. But I totally thought he was calling her Burger King for a second and got confused. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's like, I'm more of a DQ person. Man, I miss Burger King. I do too. They hope the ghosts are all right and vow that the next time the smiling man shows up, they'll be ready for him. They also thank Mom Watch for her invaluable help. Once again, the watch face says love. Ah. Uh, okay, this is this is, is a yeah, end? this is a three and a half. I think after our discussion, I've decided it's three and a half. Um. Yeah, this is just. Yeah, that's kind of the yeah. end. It just it, it just it ends. just wraps yeah. up super quickly. They're like, let's go home. Okay, right. go home. I will say no discussion though, about it. They should have been like more weirded out. Like you yeah. guys really wanted to ski. We're here. Why don't you ski? Like the lights are on. Why is everything weird now? Here's here's another part of the reason why I think I was disappointed by the ending is at one point when I was about halfway through reading it, I flipped to the end not to read the end, but to see what the last page number was so I knew where the halfway point was to make sure I was at least reading to there by like a set date or whatever. And I caught just a couple of words and I thought that I had read something along the lines of it saying that Mrs. Adler came down the stairs. A la uh, Pirates of the Caribbean... Barbosa still alive reveal, and I was I was like, holy crap! How is that gonna happen? Oh no! And then it was, and then it was just they lit some curtains on fire and went home, and I was like, ah, okay, well, that was normal. <laughs> so I, I had spoiled myself for something that didn't exist. Oh, so it's like a huge letdown. Because <laughs> that would have been crazy. Because then it would, because then it would have been like not like they had solved, they had sort of solved the like the ski lodge mystery, but now it's creating this new thing. And like, what if, what if that had been like the smiling man had like, he was like, I'm done playing these like localized games. Like I'm just pushing into your daily life. Maybe that'll happen in the next one. And that would have been so tense. Um, but I can't criticize the book for not doing something that I made up that it was doing. (laughs) So that doesn't count against it. That doesn't count against it. It just, it, that my reading experience was sort of colored because of that, but that is not the book's fault. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I'm I guess so, I'm grading it higher just because I like the concept so much. 
and that it was so much better yeah. executed than another Haunted Lodge story that we read. It was like a bed and breakfast. Right. So I will say, if you're if you're trying to choose between all the lovely bad ones and uh, Dead Voices, definitely read Dead Voices. No, yeah. no question on that. Yeah, absolutely. I just think it falls kind of squarely in the middle-ish of what we've read overall. Right. At, at this point. Yeah, yeah. When we review things, we think we think of three as like a, a lot of people are like three stars. It was awful sort of thing. It's like three is three isn't a glowing, but three is fine. Three, three is an enjoyable three is three and a yeah. half is is still you three know. is an adequate story. Like it was fine. Yeah. At no point where you're like this is a piece of shit. Neither were you like this is the best thing I've ever read. Three is just like. All right, it was just all right for me. Is where three is at. Yeah. One, I think people are like they hand out those fives way too easily. Not uh, everything you read is going to be a five. I'm sorry, it's not. Yeah. Uh, I just finished Ali Brocha's new collection, and I, as much as I love her, typically that specific collection, I didn't even rate super high. Oh, really? Um, I haven't finished it yet. I think it's at a four for me. I, I think part of the reason is that her first one was a, a handful of new stories and a collection of, like, the stuff from right early on in her career when she was just, it was just, like, constant home runs. I have to give it a four because of the story of, like, the do- the horse poop that was ending up in the house all the time. And then when she was having, like, the, she was had, like, this bit about a newscaster maybe talking about it. And I laughed so hard, I cried and pissed, literally pissed my pants, because I was laughing so hard. So I was like, I have to give something a four if I literally wet my pants, because of how funny that it was. One, that one, the, uh, at least the back half of the one arguing about the bananas. Oh, yeah. And the one the one about the neighbor kid insisting yes. that she see her neighbor bedroom kid. are some of the funniest things that I've read yes. this year. But she also has a lot of them that I got to the end, and I was like, I'm not sure what the point of that was. Or, or like, I noticed that she's relying a little bit more heavily on the illustrations. Like, the it used to be, like, mostly text with, like, five or six illustrations to drive home specific points. And now it's, like, a hundred illustrations and, like, three paragraphs of text. And I um, laughed so hard I couldn't breathe about the pile dog when it got really fat and then was also cold. So they had to put, like, a little sweater on it. And they're like, <laughs> and she's talking about how people would feel looking at it. Like, what am I looking at? Is it wearing, why is it wearing a crop top? <laughs> That's when I like laughed so hard I couldn't breathe. So I mean, if you're getting that strong of reactions from me, that bumps it up like a star. Because otherwise it'd be yeah. like, yeah, this is three, but it's like I wet my pants. I don't do that yeah. all the time. So you get a four. <laughs> Going back to this, the book that we read for the podcast. This is all stuff you can edit it out. It's gonna be so easy. No, la, I, know. La, la. I know. What I did want to say is uh, importantly. Even though I enjoyed this less than I enjoyed Small Spaces, I am not turned off from the series. No, not at all. I'm still very much interested in reading the next one. I'm all. It, this is just. This feels very second book in the series. Uh, feeling. It's kind of like the thing that we were uh, glad that the second Fable Haven avoided. Right. Yeah. But I was dreading. I'm like, oh god, the second book in the series is never as good. And for the most part, that's true. Because it's kind of. Fable Haven Two is just really yeah. strong. I mean, it's always just doomed to kind of be just the middle part of the story, and whose favorite story part of the story is the middle part? Like, no one. So so that was Dead Voices. We are going to, uh, I think, 
sometime next year is when I would assume spring because I think she releases them when the season is supposed to be because the next one would be the spring book and I believe it's called Dark Waters. I think it has like just the title and the release window up online so far. Um, but I think we'll definitely check that out once it's out. Yeah. For next month, we are going to be reading Clockwork by uh, Philip Pullman, which I read like 15 years ago and remember nothing of. So <laughs> it, it qualifies yeah. for the podcast, in my opinion. Right. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will. Uh, we're going to be catching you at the start of 2021. I can't believe we will actually make it out of this year. This year has been a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I think March lasted like six months. Yeah. All right. Hello, fellow kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh. Music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can contact us at hfkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at hfkpodcast. We are available wherever you listen to podcasts, and please consider giving us a rating or review so that we can hopefully show up somewhere sometime for somebody. Yeah, come on. We've been doing this for a few years now. We've done no promotion for this. Why isn't this going better? (laughs) (laughs) Why is no one listening to it? We've told no one about it. No one about it. (laughs) We were expecting word of mouth, and no one's wording their mouthing. Open your holes, people! Ooh. Okay. Bye. Bye. (laughs)